Lord, we just ask that you would break through things that need away. Co-workers, we pray for our nation. Lord, there's a lot of things we look on the surface and go, well, I don't see what's happening good there, and yet you're working. So, Lord, we just pray that you would, you would keep working. Lord, you would keep moving. You would give us increased faith, Lord, that you would do these things. Lord, we just, let's just sing back into that chorus a little bit, even when. All right, welcome. You may be seated here. Great to see you this morning. Welcome at home. Thank you for being a part of this. Before we jump in, let me highlight a couple things coming up today. After this service, we have our quarterly meeting, and it's a chance as a church just to check in on business matters, financial matters, different leaders what might share uh, something that's coming up in their ministry. So it's just a check-in as a church. We do these quarterly. You can stay right here if you're in this room. If you're at home, you want to tune in, you've got to jump over to our website, northwest-church.com slash meeting. We'll get you there. I also want to just make sure you know what's coming up with our summer schedule. If you get our weekly email, you might have saw that, but we are going to jump to summer schedule on Memorial Day, and we want, we've been wanting to come back to one service, but here's why we, we, we made it at 9.30, and here's why, because I thought I'm going to need a little convincing of this group because you're our 10.30 group, but uh, <clears throat> the theme is to reconnect this summer. We want to reconnect, and what we wanted to do was have a service early enough in the morning so that you'd stay and reconnect before you're like, oh my goodness, I need a cheeseburger, I'm out of here. So we wanted a 9.30 service so that at 10.45, there's time to be here where you don't have to run quite off, off to lunch yet and just connect. That's one of the things we've missed most in this pandemic time is just connecting to other humans eyeball to eyeball and can be very informal. You know, some people, some people work different places. Some people retired. I just heard this morning, someone just retired. Like, I didn't know you retired. Well, it's been a pandemic. We don't know anything. So, but this gives us a chance to know what each other's doing to, and then when you know, you can pray and you can check in and you can support. So we wanted to service early enough to facilitate that before we run off to lunch. And so we are going to keep the kids stuff going at 1045. So there'll be things happening for, for students so that if you're a parent, you can still stay and connect. And we'll start, as we're able, firing up some refreshments. So if you're one of our refreshment people, get those recipes dusted off. Talk to Sabrina. She'll talk more about that. But uh, that's, that's just in a nutshell what we're aiming at. And we're going to go Memorial Day to Labor Day with this schedule and get back to one service with time to reconnect and just be a part of each other's lives. So that's what's coming up. We're still a few weeks out, but we just want to get you getting ready, getting adjusted to that. So today we're going to jump into a new series in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. If you want, you can open there. And we're going to talk about origin stories. Where did this church come from? What's the birth story? And um, I don't know if you do this, but we tell origin or birth stories on our kids' birthdays. This weekend is birthday weekend at my house, Friday Lauren turns 17. Monday, Caden turns 15. Can't see it. He's got quite a mustache going under that mask. But uh, I made him shave it on Friday. But um, 
it's nuts. So Friday we tell Lauren, yes, you know, we're reminding when Heather, we'd walked at Lake Padden and she was just dying and wanted to get to the hospital. We finally get in there and then there's back labor and it goes on and on. And, and we actually had a DVD of some of the footage. So we played it for her and there were these really young parents. I don't know who they were, but they were in the video. And um, it was just kind of fun to tell the birth story. And periodically my mom will even throw mine out. You were three weeks late. 48 hours of labor, and they still had to pull me out with the forceps. Like, I'm not leaving. It's ironic because I'm an early riser now. But in that moment, I wanted to stay put. But uh, anyways, there's stories of how something starts, how you start, how a church starts. So we're going to get an an origin story today of how the Corinthian church started. We're going to get that as we jump into this letter. So if you want to turn there, go ahead. The series is going to be called, it's 1 Corinthians, Getting Right and Getting Going. And um, for some, it took me a while to land on this after we were wrapping up Easter and our love series. And I just, nothing was clicking. Like, Lord, where do you want us to go? And just nothing was clicking and, except this letter kept coming back to me. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. So I said, I guess we'll do 1 Corinthians. And the idea is... Many of the issues, the cultural issues, the challenges to the church in Corinth are, are they're no different today. They're no different. And so the, the subtitle they're getting right, the, Paul spends a lot of time in this letter correcting problems, theological problems, behavior problems, cultural problems. So a lot of it's just getting things right. How does God want us to do this? Some of the things they have to get right are questions. You, if you'll read about it, you might see it as we get going. First Corinthians is likely a second letter from Paul. They've gone back and forth already. Paul wrote them a letter. They wrote back with questions. So this letter we're looking at, it, it, there's already correspondence going on. So he's answering their questions. Well, what do we do about this? And what do we do about that? So it's just getting things right. How do we get things right as a church? And how do we get going? Like, how do we get on track? How do we get on mission? What does he want us to do? So we're going to see those themes as we study this book. And we'll probably take a little more where we're kind of skip, skip big topics. I don't know that we're going to make it to every word in the book, but we're going to get to the big chunks of this study. So getting right, getting going. In a minute here, I'm going to show you the origin story, the birth story of this church. But today's point that we're going to get to is that God has given us all we need. God has given us all we need. God has given us all we need. That's what we're going to see as we work our way through the opening of this letter. So let's look at the opening and then we'll jump to the origin story. So the opening is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. We get the, uh, in ancient letters, they wrote who it was from before they wrote who it was to. We write it the other way, we write to, and then we write from at the bottom. They wrote, they wrote from right out of the get-go. Paul, called by the will of God, to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he identifies himself as Paul, the apostle Paul, and he says right out of the gate, I didn't make this up. This wasn't my plan. This wasn't my ambition. I didn't rise to something to lord it over you. I was called by the will of God. He wanted me to be the apostle, which literally simply just means to be sent. The apostle means to be sent. So Jesus sent Paul. He, he called him, chose him as a hostile rebel. He called him to himself and then said, I'm going to send you around the world 
to preach the gospel. So he's just saying, look, I'm doing this because it's God's will for me to do this. And then he has a, a helper in this letter and our brother Sosthenes. Many of his letters, he has a co-writer or co-author. A lot of times we think the co-author, Paul narrating, because at the end he'll say, see, I write this greeting with my own hand. So he'll like sign his name at the end and someone else narrates it for, he narrates it to them. So Sosthenes, hang on to that name. He's going to come up, Sosthenes. Verse 2, to the church of God that is at Corinth. The church is the, is it means just an assembly. It means those called together. But they're called together in God. Not just any assembly, not a civic assembly. Assembly in God that is in Corinth. So it's a group of people called together in God in a city. And then this is how he describes it. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two times he says the same thing of believers. You are sanctified, which means you've been made holy or you have been set apart in Christ Jesus, and you're called to be saints or you're called the holy ones. You realize that when Jesus Christ calls you and calls us together as a church, he says that we have been made holy. We've been set apart, and you're called the saints. And it's not just you, and it's not just, it's everyone. You are called a saint or called a holy one with every other person who's called in Jesus' name. Do you see that? To all those, to, with all those who call upon his name in every place, that we join this massive community of the called ones of Jesus Christ, of the saints, the holy ones, all believers in all places and all times, we're part of it. A lot of times you don't think of yourself as a holy one, but that's how Jesus views you. And we're called the holy ones together on Northwest Avenue, Northwest Baptist Church. We're, we're called that, just like this church was called that. So uh, let's see, called the uh, name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the end of verse 2, both their Lord and ours. And then this is just a wonderful greeting, a wonderful blessing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to bless somebody, this is where you could say, grace to you, God's continued, undeserved, unmerited favor, and his peace, his shalom, his wholeness, his completeness. You want to bless, Paul's blessing, I want God's favor on you, and I want God's wholeness and completeness and health upon you. And Paul wishes that for this church, grace to you and peace to you from God, from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's just opening with a blessing. So we got who we're to. Paul is writing to the saints at Corinth. He wants to bless them and encourage them. So now let's jump over and learn where did this group of people come from? How did they get to be a church? Why is he writing them a letter? Where did this all start? So to do that, many of Paul's letters, you can do that by jumping to the book of Acts. Acts describes Paul's journeys, describes the places he went, the people he encountered, This would be on Paul's second journey around the world, or the Mediterranean world, I should say. So in Acts chapter 18, we get the story of where does this church come from? I think it's helpful to have that context in mind when we're studying the letter. Go, okay, this was their background. This is where they came from. This is why they exist. It just gives some context to the letter we're going to study. So if you jump over to Acts 18, we're going to go through where where this church came from, their origin story. So Acts 18.1, after this, Paul left Athens 
and went to Corinth. So we're in Greece, modern-day Greece. And Corinth, it's, uh, this is where the tie-in is with us. It's a wealthy city. It's a Roman city. It has, it's got seaports. And then um, it's very religiously plural. So there's all kinds of Roman and, and Greek god temples in the area. And it's sexually plural. Lots of stuff going on there. The temple to Aphrodite was there. And there was, you know, thousands of uh, temple prostitutes where they would worship. So you, you just get the sense that there was a lot of wealth, a lot of affluence, a lot of plurality, uh, a lot of sexual plurality. It feels very much like our culture. So that's where he is. He's in Corinth. And he found the Jew named Achilla a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Claudius would be the Roman emperor. So the Jews are kicked out of Rome, so they come over here to Corinth. And so he went to see them. Paul went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul had a day job. He would make tents with Achilla and Priscilla, and they worked together, paid his bills. And then, verse 4, it says what he would do. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Paul is Jewish. His first stop in every town would be to go. If there's a big enough to be a synagogue, that's where he would go. And he would try to reason with his fellow countrymen, to believe in Jesus. That's what he would do. He would go every Sabbath. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived, so these are more of Paul's helpers, they arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So that's what he would do. Every Sabbath day, he would go to the synagogue, a gathering of local Jews, and his whole point was to explain to them that Jesus is the Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. So he's saying, it's him. Look, let's look at these. And who knows which ones he'd look to. Look at Isaiah 53. Look at Deuteronomy 18. He would just take them through whatever they're studying and say, all that points to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he would do when he would go into a town. So verse 6, we see it didn't go that well at first. And when they opposed and reviled him. right? They're like, no, we don't believe you, and we're going to call you names. When they opposed and reviled him, He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he's like, okay. There's this overt act of shaking your garments. Like, I'm shaking off every dust particle from you, any connection to you. I have told you that Jesus is the Christ. If you don't want to believe, it's on you. I have told you. You have been forewarned. It's on you now. I'm out of here. I did what I could. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear me. I'm moving on. Now, I found this kind of humorous. You have a funny sense of humor sometimes. So look what he does. He left there. He leaves the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. I find that, I'm out of here, guys. Just goes over next door. All right, we're starting here. They can probably hear him through the window. Like, I'm here. All right, open your Bibles, you know, and they're like, what, we still got to hear this guy every day? He's going to keep going. I just found that so ironic. I'm out of here. I'll be right there if you need me. So anyways, he goes right next door. They're going to hear him talking. They're going to hear him preaching. So he's next door. Verse 8, Crispus, 
the ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord. So there you go. It wasn't all a failure in the synagogue. Crispus would be like the pastor of the synagogue, the ruler, the leader. He believes with his entire household. So there was some fruit over there. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So all of a sudden, some of the Gentiles start believing. Verse 9, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. So he's like, listen, I want you to stay. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to worry that they, they didn't listen to you at the synagogue. Keep talking, keep speaking, keep preaching, because I have people here that you're going to reach. Don't you love that God's already gone ahead? So keep going, because there's many people, and you're going to keep talking, and I'm going to send you to them, and I'm going to send them to you, and they're going to be my people, and so you just keep going. We need that assurance, don't we? Keep going. So he's, you're not going to be attacked. Don't stop talking. Don't stop teaching. So verse 11, he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So he's there for a year and a half, 18 months. He's there teaching, establishing a church. So we're starting to get a sense of where do these people come from? Well, they come from Paul's stay there. They come from the Holy Spirit's encouragement to keep going. People are responding. He had many people that needed to believe in that town. Verse 12, but when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, so this would be sort of Roman leaders of the area he's in, the region. The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Basically, they're taking him to court. Saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. Like, I don't care about your little religious, is Jesus this or that? He's like, I don't care. I'm not going to be over that. And he drove them from the tribunal. He's like, get out of here. This, I'm throwing this out of court. But verse 17, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. He must have organized, like, oh, this didn't work. So they start pounding this guy. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. They're just beating the guy up. He's like, we got lunch? Let's do, let's do lunch. This might take a while, right? He just walks off. So that's the story. Paul's there. He's there a little longer and then moves on. So there was a united attack. They were trying to bring him down. And what did God tell him? I'm with you. You don't have to worry. They didn't even get an argument out, and the ruler threw it out of the courtroom. So let's jump back to 1 Corinthians and just catch that one little cool moment there. I don't know if you caught it. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes. Did you catch that? Who was the name of the guy that organized the charge and then got beat up in front of the Sosthenes? Now, it doesn't say it's the exact same guy, and we don't have their last names, but I'm pretty sure it's the same guy because he's in the letter to the Corinthians writing back to the church where they would know who he was. And what I thought was so cool about that is that some, we don't have the story. Somewhere he organizes this thing against Paul. Let's go put him on trial. He gets beat up for it. And then at some point, does he just go have a conversation? He's like, maybe this isn't working. 
Maybe I should listen to Paul. Maybe the Holy Spirit's stirring. At some point, he believes. And now he's called a brother. This isn't just slang. This is, you're a brother in Christ. So I think it's really a great encouragement to see at the start of this church um, that God can win enemies. Did anybody think Sosthenes, who just organizes this thing against Paul, is going to be now a brother in the faith? So I think no matter what it looks like, no matter how hostile someone has been, anyone can turn. Anyone can be called by Christ. Anyone can change. Anyone can be saved. I think that's really encouraging. In a hostile climate, in a host- there's hostile competing values, and he was called by Christ. So right at the get-go, we get the origin of this church, Roman area, lots of plurality, some hostility, and God says, just keep on talking. And the person organizing hostility comes to Christ. So now what I want to do, we know where they come from, is jump down to verse 4 and look at this idea that God has given us all we need. Well, what has he given us? We've got the backstory. Let's look at what he wants to tell this church. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. We just stop there and just do that. Paul was thankful for this church. Let me thank you. Thank you for being a great church. Thank you for being patient with me. I do goofy things and mess stuff up all the time. Thank you for your faith in Christ. Thank you for hanging in and the weirdest year ever, right? You're plus now. Thank you for just continuing to be a partner in ministry. Thank you for patiently listening to me preach. Thank you for the serving you're doing to one another and to our community. Thank you for trusting Jesus. I'm very thankful. Sometimes you might hear pastors be mad or complain or they did that or that. I just want you to know I'm thankful for you. And when I read things like this in my own personal reading time, if I read that, I give thanks to my God for a church, I stop and thank God for you. So thank you. Thank you for being a wonderful church. Thank you for believing in Christ. So that's where he starts. He's thankful for them. Verse 5, then he gets into this part. He says, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. In every way. Not in some ways, not in a few ways. Not, you, gotta, you were enriched. It means that you were made full. It's to be made wealthy. You were made full. You were enriched. You were given everything you need. And he gives two examples. In all speech and knowledge. In all speech and knowledge. He's saying, I've, you've been enriched by God in speech. It's where we get the word for word in, in Logos. You've been given the word and you've been given knowledge. You've been given ability to speak and you've been given knowledge. Let's keep going. Verse 6. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So you really believed, you really trusted Christ. Verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift. These are, the word there is where we get for spiritual gifts. These are gifts of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's saying right out of the get-go, you have been given everything you need to function in Christ. You've been enriched in Christ, and the examples he gives are in speech and in knowledge. One of the connections, you know, Paul was in this culture that had different beliefs, and uh, he, the Holy Spirit said, keep on talking. We're in a culture with lots of different beliefs. We're in a cancel culture. You can be shouted down. You can be shamed. You can be social media shamed. You, you know, the, more and more of our scriptures being viewed as hate speech. It's getting a little bit hard to talk right now. 
And here we're being told you have been given spiritual gifts in these key areas, in speaking and knowledge. What, one of the things that makes us afraid is, well, what if I speak up and it's hated? Or what if I don't know what to say? But here we're being told, actually, you've been given those things. You've been given gifts in speech and given gifts in knowledge. This is exactly what we need. We're in a culture that might be hostile, and God's in the Holy Spirit's in you, and the Holy Spirit's with you. Let me show you from Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the giving of the Holy Spirit specifically gives power to be a witness, to be one who can testify about Jesus. I think it's important we remember that, that it's not our striving and our effort. The Holy Spirit's been given to us. We've been given, we've been enriched in all speech and in all knowledge. He's given us his word and he fills us with the spirit and he says, speak about me, talk about me. You never know who you're around, who he sent you to. You never know who the Sosthenes is in your life who seems hostile, but the Holy Spirit's working on him. So don't be afraid to keep speaking. Keep praying. He's going to fill you. You think, well, what if they ask a question? I don't know. Just let him work in that. Or say, I don't know. It's okay to say that. Verse 7, so you are were, you were not lacking in any gift. He's spiritually given us what we need to be a church and what we need to be believers right now. That has not changed. Right, let's look at verse 8. Well, I guess it's the second half of seven. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're doing right now. We're waiting for his revealing. That's where we get the word apocalypse. We're waiting for Jesus to come, for Jesus to appear. Verse eight, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to hear that. He will sustain you. In Christ, sustain is to establish, to build a firm foundation. Jesus will sustain you. And then it says he will sustain you to the end guiltless. It means free from reproach, without any stain on you. We don't usually think of ourselves that way, do we? That he sets the heat. When you're in Christ, he's put a foundation under you. He's going to make sure you get to the end. And when you get to the end, you're going to be free from reproach. It's not going to be, oh, yeah, but what about this and what about that? We're way harder on ourselves, aren't we? We're like, oh, I'm never going to get this right, and I've done that stupid thing again, and how do you put up with me, God? But when this is promising us that Jesus sustains you, and then he's going to keep you all the way to the end, guiltless, above reproach. There's nothing between you and him. Now, there was a book I read a couple years ago. Some of you read it with me called The Cure, called The Cure. The subtitle is important. Because if you just type that in, you get weird books. But so the cure, what if God isn't who you think he is and neither are you? So if you don't get the subtitle, you're going to be like, why did he recommend this? Get the subtitle. So anyways, in the book, he describes how we often view ourselves with Christ and how Christ views us. And so he just describes this idea that a lot of times we think we're standing here and Jesus is over there and between us is this massive pit, and this was his description, full of rotten food and mayonnaise and cat food. I don't know why he described that, but it does sound really horrible. And if you add like a 90-degree day, you can get the idea. It's, It's this idea that that pit between us and Jesus is our sin and ongoing failure. 
And we view that as us over here and Jesus over there shaking his head, just going, when are you going to deal with this? I'm tired of this. But in truth, we read a passage like this, Jesus isn't over there and our sin between us. He's already established you guiltless. Jesus is beside you with his arm around you saying, I love you. I'm established you guiltless. And we're going to walk through this together. Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We need to view ourselves that way. That Jesus is on your side. That Jesus has already established you. He's working in you. Doesn't mean he doesn't see all that. But he's saying that's not between us anymore because I already paid for it on the cross. So we're going to take it one day at a time. And if you fall back in the pit, I'm going to help you out. And you're not alone. In Christ, he loves you all the way. He's given you the full Holy Spirit all the way. He didn't give you a half spirit until you figure it out and he give you the other half. All the Holy Spirit, all the gifts, you're washed clean in the blood of Christ. Let me read you this psalm here. Psalm uh, 103 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Verse 12 says, For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Right? They never meet. The east and the west don't meet, right? As far as they go, they just keeps going. He's taken your sins away. It's not between you and him anymore. He loves you all the way right now. He's establishing you in that. All right, let's jump to verse 9 here, 1 Corinthians 1, 9. Because this is the key part here, right? God is faithful, not us. We, we, we struggle, we fail, but God doesn't. He is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It doesn't depend on us. God keeps working. We've been saying that even when I don't see it, you're working. He's working in us. He doesn't stop. He's working in you. He's faithful to keep working in you. And then he says you've called, he's called you into the fellowship of his son. Fellowship is the idea. It's a close, mutual association. Sometimes we think, well, Jesus called me, but he keeps me in the basement and asked me not to talk. No, no, that's not what he's... He's called you fully into the fellowship, into a mutual association. You're on the team. You're in the room. You're in the family. We read that in that opening verse. You're called a holy one with all the other people in all time. That's how he views you. You are in the fellowship. You are in the association. You've been given gifts. God has given us all we need. God has given us all we need. He's given us his holiness. He's given us spiritual gifts so we can speak and know him. And we'll see more as the book goes along. He speaks through you. He wants to use you. He sustains your faith. He's faithful to you. He wants you in the fellowship. We don't need to live with an ongoing sense of failure and shame. We don't need to kind of beat ourselves up all the time and say, I'm never going to make it because God is faithful and God has gifted you and he's going to continue to give you what you need in spiritual gifts and give you what you need in encouragement and give you what you need in moving forward and give you what you need for ministry. He's given it all to us. So I want to show you that by example. We talked about the Corinthian origin story. Where did that church come from? And God was faithful to them. Where did this church come from? I want, to, I want you to hear this story a little bit so that we see that God's been faithful to us. So there's a, a booklet that was produced in 1990 when this church turned 100. It was a centennial. So our church began in 1890. 
They celebrated in 1990, and now we're at 131 years old. So I just wanted you to read a little bit of this story they put in there. Where did we come from? So it says, near the beginning of 1890, when the Western Washington Conference of Swedish Baptists, so they're all Swedish speaking at the beginning, a group of them met in Tacoma. This settlement in New Whatcom was noted. So this is before it was called Bellingham the city. There was a part called New Whatcom. Like, hey, there's some Swedes up there in this wild west of New Whatcom. So the conference missionary, his name was August Sandell, was asked to make a visit to ascertain the possibilities of beginning a new work. And we get some started up there. So he arrived in March of 1890, and he arranged for meetings in homes. And I'm just going around and talk to people. And in the American Baptist Church. Isn't that which one that is? That's First Baptist downtown, right? They, they were first. So they actually should be called First Baptist. They literally were first. Uh, 1860, I believe, they started. So they helped us out. They're like, yeah, you can meet here. You can get some stuff going. So he meets with some people, and he found an open door. He also found some who desired baptism. Isn't that a cool part of our origin story? We're not even a church yet, and we're baptizing people. Like, let's go. You ready? We're going now. We're not even, let's go now. I know the bay's cold, but you'll be fine. You're a tough Swede. Let's go. They were ready to baptize people right out of the gate. So almost immediately, the need for an established church organization became evident. We got people here. We got people getting baptized. We need a church. So there was 10 persons, 10 people in faith believing came to the decision to organize a Swedish Baptist Church. The date of June 19, 1890 was designated as the time. Ministers of conference churches were the organizing body. The intent of purpose and affirmation of faith of these ten men and women was read, and a covenant was made as they joined hands, asking God's guidance and blessing. How much these ten founders hoped for and dreamed of on that day, we don't know. But they certainly prayed and worked, and God blessed them. They had no idea who you are. They had no idea who I am. They had no idea even we were speaking English, right? They were all speaking Swedish in those days. But they started with 10 people in this place called New Wacom, and they had all the gifts they needed, right? Because the Holy Spirit was with them. And they said, let's just start a work, and here we are, 131 years later, in that work. Isn't that cool? Think, think of... Think of what they went through, right? They went, I mean, 1890. They went through two world wars and a depression. They actually lived through the Spanish flu we keep reading about. We made it through one of these pandemics. They made it through. Here we are, right? They made it through depressions, through how many presidents? Probably a lot between 1890 and today. How many different movements and economic downturns and upturns? And God is faithful. God is faithful. He's given us what we need. Amen. So let me just encourage you today. Maybe you have a personal area where you're going, I'm struggling here. Give it to him. Maybe he's putting a name in your mind. He says, I want you to keep speaking. I'm going to fill you with, with what you need to say and what you need to know because I have people I'm trying to reach through you. Maybe, you're gonna, maybe you work with Sosthenes. They're hostile. They're against you. And that's who God's going to reach. I don't know. But God's faithful. God's got us. He's got us here. And he's got us to the future. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for those uh, 10 Swedes. I don't know who they are. 
I don't probably know who their kids or grandkids are. I don't know anything about them, really. But they were faithful, and you were faithful. So, Lord, we just pray that we leave this place another hundred years. If you, if you don't come back before then, we just want it to keep going and keep going and keep reaching people and keep reaching people until you appear. But we need your help to do it. Would you do it? Would you strengthen us? Would you let us trust in your gifts? Would you let us remember who we are, that we're the holy ones, that we're established guiltless until you show up? Thank you so much for giving us what we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.